I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Hello, and welcome to the show. You're listening to Once Upon a Gene, and I'm your host, Effie Parks. And today, I have a surprise for you. This is a new addition to the podcast that I'm trying out. So please send me your feedback and let me know if you enjoy it. I've always been moved by the power of storytelling, and I just believe in it so much for our community. So once a month, I will be releasing this extra special episode in a series I'm calling A Rare Collection. It's going to feature three people from the rare disease community, each telling a true short story with the same theme. I'm the luckiest ever in that this is what I'm doing for fun, passion, and purpose. So the theme for the three stories you're about to hear is superheroes. The storytellers have the utmost freedom to be creative and take the theme wherever their heart desires. And today I lined up three of my favorites. I hope you enjoy the show. Here is a story by my husband, Casey Parks, father to Ford with CT and NB1. When I was a little boy, I had a tradition with my dad and my brother. Every other week, we would go to the comic book store, and we'd each get to pick out a couple of comics to buy. I had a few that I bought often, but my favorite was always Captain America. I learned to read from those star-spangled pages, and at the same time, learned to love the ideals that Cap stood for. A sense of patriotism, service, a need to fight for what's right. As a young man, I stopped going to the comic book store quite so regularly, but I kept my love of superheroes, and I always have. I always looked forward to one day being able to introduce my future kiddos to that world in the same way that my father had for me. I looked forward to my children choosing their first comic books and learning from those pages like I had. I hoped that maybe my son would love Captain America like I do. I looked forward to a lot of things. Tossing a football around with my son, teaching him how to drive a stick shift, talking for hours on end about who our favorite superheroes are and why. My son, Ford, was born almost five years ago now. He has a rare, fluke genetic condition called CTNNB1 syndrome. He can't talk, walk, or read. Realistically, he may never be able to do any of those things. All of those things I had looked forward to probably aren't going to be a part of our journey together. But here's the thing. While I may never get to talk to Ford about our favorite superheroes, he's already made me understand them better. Because you see... There's something about Captain America that we don't often think about when we think about the character. And maybe we should. For those of you who may not know the character that well, Captain America started life as a skinny kid with a mop of wavy blonde hair, a litany of health problems bad enough to keep him from enlisting in the army during World War II, and a heart 
that made him a hero. Somebody saw that heart in him and gave him what they called in the comics the super soldier serum. But the serum didn't just make Cap strong on its own. It made his body a reflection of what was in his heart. That's why Cap was such a strong superhero. So when I think of Captain America now, yes, of course, he still stands for patriotism, service, and doing the right thing. But he also stands for something else. Captain America stands for all those born with the heart of a hero, even if their body can't stand at all. Because it's that heart that made him into the hero that he is. As I've gotten to know my son over these last five years, he's shown me incredible kindness, strength, perseverance, and an unlimited capacity for love. So it's okay if I never get to share Captain America with my boy. Because the way it turned out, Ford has shared Captain America with me. And when I see him sitting there in his wheelchair with that goofy grin on his face and his own wavy mop of blonde hair, I see the heart of a hero and my real life Captain America. From the Rare Disease Film Festival and Disorder Channel co-founder and father of Tess, who has Howfountain Syndrome, Bo Bigelow. The superhero I want to talk about is a boy. When I met him, he was seven. He was from Maryland. I don't know his name, never learned it. I probably never will, but I think about him all the time. This superhero, this seven-year-old boy, I met him on a summer day years ago. It was hot. I remember because our Tess doesn't do well in the heat. She's our daughter. Tess is now 11. She has Howe Fountain Syndrome. It's a rare disease that makes it so she doesn't talk. She has autism, she has seizures sometimes, and she also has intellectual disability. She needs someone with her at all times, 24-7, to keep her safe and happy. I had brought Tess to a picnic at a park. She adores people. She loves walking and the wind and being around trees and walking on grass. She loves to be outside. Well, I should say usually she loves the outdoors, but here in Maine, where we live, it was in the mid-90s. That's too hot for her. She gets extra sweaty, stops engaging with us, kind of shuts down, stares straight ahead until you get her somewhere cooler. It's a little scary. Tess is so engaging and so interested in people that when she's in that shutdown state, it can be unsettling. In this park, she is in full heat shutdown mode. No matter what I try, from cool drinks to shady spots, she can't cool down. She's staring straight ahead, quiet and very still. There's no denying it, Tess is miserable. Aside from the overheating Tess, I also need rescuing. I brought her here to this picnic for a sense of belonging. It's hosted by the agency that employs her BHP, the helper who works with her before and after school each day. I've come hoping to meet other parents like us or other kids like Tess, but there are no other parents here. 
just people who are in the day program with this agency, and all of them are adults. They're pleasant to us and they greet Tess, but then we're on our own again. Rare disease isolates us, makes us feel alone a huge part of the time. This isolation feels worse when you think you're gonna have a genuine connection, but then it turns out you're not. I can't explain why, but somehow the promise and then disappointment of the picnic is 12 times worse for me than it would have been for us to simply be alone from the get-go. Tess and I don't know it yet, but we're only a few minutes from meeting the superhero, the boy from Maryland. He is, at this very moment, already in the park, a short distance away from us. Before long, it's clear that we won't be staying at the picnic. Tess can't handle the heat, and no one's talking to us anymore. I resolve to take Tess swimming in the ocean. Nearby, in this same park, is a rocky beach. I figure, while it won't be easy to take her in the water on my own, it'll cool us both off. There in the waves, I hold Tess. I wade in until the water is nearly up to my neck. I feel her transform in my arms. She comes alive again, restored, blinking and shaking her head in the salt water. And then, he's there, the boy. He stands not far away, up to his waist. He's staring at us. Nearby is an older kid, probably the boy's older brother. The older one knows to look away. The younger one doesn't. He can't take his eyes off Tess. He's talkative. He starts asking about her. How old is she? Six, I say. The boy tells us he's seven. He says he's from Maryland. He's visiting his father here in Maine. I can tell that the older brother is uncomfortable with the questions. He wants to leave us. He wants the boy to stop bothering us. But I don't mind these questions at all. He's interested in Tess. He's curious. He's made me forget all about the picnic and the heat. I know what he wants to ask before he even says it. He's doing the math, figuring out that he's seven and she's six and something is different about Tess. And then there it is. He asks, why doesn't she talk? The boy sees Tess. His brother wants to get going, to get on with the day, to return to what summer is when you're a kid. But the boy stays. He wants nothing more than to linger with Tess, to find out about her. I answer the boy this. Tess's brain works a little differently from yours and mine. She has some sign language and knows how to tell us lots of things, just not using words. The boy is blown away. I can see he's never realized a kid can get to be six and still not say a word. I see all the statements, all the questions, everything he's ever said to anyone in his life up to that point, in the idea he's grappling with, the idea that Tess has never said any of those things. 
and the boy keeps looking at her. And he shrugs. I've just told him that Tess doesn't speak, and he says, So? She's still a human. And he swims away. He and his brother. He might never know how heroic that last statement is. About how Tess is still a human. How matter-of-fact and natural to him to think that way. But how unexpected and tremendous to me. How it saved the day. The way he stopped. Just for a few minutes there in the waves. He didn't have x-ray vision. All he had to do was see Tess. Here is a story by Rare Disease Film Festival and the Disorder Channel co-founder and father of Lucas, who had Menkes, Daniel DeFabio. When we think about superheroes, we think about those with extraordinary abilities, abilities to do more than others can. And when we talk about rare disease kids or special needs kids, we often frame it in terms of those that can do less than others can. We think of what they cannot do. The needs in the phrase special needs. My son Lucas needed a wheelchair since he couldn't walk. He needed a food tube since he couldn't eat. And that seems pretty clearly the opposite of a superhero's extraordinary abilities. We call it a disability. Finding the overlap of a superhero and a special needs person might not seem obvious. It might mean we have to redefine some terms. In fact, it's not uncommon to hear people with disabilities referred to as differently abled. Differently abled like Superman and his super friends? Maybe. Instead of focusing on how my son Luke lacked the ability to talk, we focused on how expressive his piercing ice blue eyes were, how infectious his face-wide grin and guttural laugh were. Were these gifts akin to x-ray vision and super breath? Was he a Professor Charles Xavier communicating silently from his wheelchair? People, even strangers, found Luke's gifts remarkable. They would literally remark about his eyes, smile, and laugh. My wife summed it up. His gift was people, each of us, any of us, all of us, walk around with our burdens weighing us down. We see Luke and form a first impression that involves sadness. But then his eyes or his laugh shake that assumption. And people are left to consider, wow, that kid with all those challenges that he must have is still finding and exuding joy. And maybe I can do that too after all, despite Luke's limitations. And even Superman had his limits. I don't just mean kryptonite. Is Superman unable to feel and show vulnerability? Unable to feel at home in a world that was made for people different than him. Unable to feel he's normal. Some of the best Superman stories tackle these chinks in his invulnerable steel skin. Alan Moore's story, For the Man Who Has Everything, lays low Earth's most powerful resident just by offering him the dream of a quiet, normal life. How many of those with rare disease would eagerly accept a bargain that promised a quiet, normal life. As I'm putting these thoughts together, an Instagram post from Global Genes pops up. It quotes Emma Stone. 
She starred in Birdman and two Spider-Man movies. She says, What sets you apart can sometimes feel like a burden, and it's not. A lot of the time, it's what makes you great. The superhero fiction genre's appeal, to me at least, stems from wondering what you would do if you were not normal, if you had superpowers, if you could do more than you can now, or more than anyone you know can do. This is probably why comics appeal to teens who are eager to discover what they can achieve and who they might become. Stan Lee innovated the superhero world by tapping explicitly into the concerns of teenagers. Spider-Man was a teen, but not a sidekick. He had to find his own path, and Peter Parker learns one of the most enduring lessons of comic books. With great power comes great responsibility. It's a powerful message and a reminder even for those of us who aren't teens or superheroes, us folks in the real world who feel we have only ordinary powers. We have the responsibility to do what we can to help those in need too. Did Luke have less responsibility because he had less ability? Maybe, but did he use what powers he did have to do good to those around him who needed it? 100%. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate y'all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.